This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The David Packman Show, The Young Turks, The Onion Radio News, The Johan Hari Podcast, Media Matters, and NPR. The bonus clip for today for our iOS and Android app users is a full song featuring today's show by Robin Roberts. Kentucky is now, there is a Kentucky city that is giving a Bible theme park a 75% tax break. And we talked about the initial inkling about this story a while back, if you remember, Lewis, the Noah's Ark replica, I believe it was. Right. And now Williamstown, Kentucky has agreed to a 75% property tax discount to a biblical theme park, which will have, as we discussed, a full-size replica of Noah's Ark. Now, how you can have a replica of something that arguably never existed, I thought a replica meant it was something real. Um, yeah, and I'm not too sure about how accurate the description is in the Bible. Well, I mean, here, what it are the dimensions in there? What's going on? The dimensions are in there, the material is in there, and the Bible says that it was covered in pitch, which I think pitch is some kind of a wood sealer, right? Is it, I don't know. Is it like a tar of some sort? That's what I have yeah. in mind, yeah. Okay. So, and some, a couple people pointed out to me, hey, you're wrong on this. The description of Noah's Ark is in there. If I said to you, Lewis, you are to build a 1957 Chevy, it is 13 feet long, 6 feet wide, and it's made of metal. Does that count as instructions to build a 57 Chevy? No. I'd have to, I'd have to Google a picture of one. It wouldn't be sufficient to create a replica. Right. So at the same time, if we know the, the, the size of Noah's Ark, I don't believe that, and the material, I don't believe that that qualifies. But listen, I'm, I'm getting past it. I'm getting past the point here. The point is that these are significant tax breaks that would span... 30 years, according to the Lexington Herald-Leader, and are for something that clearly is a violation of the separation of church and state. Why would we have a, this is the establishment of one particular religious, uh, of a religion sponsored by a state government? Right. I doubt if I wanted to build a Satan land next door, they'd give me such a tax break. Forget about that. What if you wanted to just build a mosque, I don't know, in New York City, uh, without any tax breaks? Doubt you'd even get the permits. <laughs> As we're seeing. So this new theme park is going to be an offshoot of the Creation Museum in Petersburg, which is run by a group called Answers in Genesis. It's a part owner of Ark Encounters, LLC. And the Creation Museum offers attractions based on, no surprise, Lewis, a literal interpretation of the Bible, including... The earth was created in six 24-hour days between 6,000 and 10,000 years ago. Now, as we know, Lewis, that's just not true. Mm -hmm. I don't even do... I actually want to ask the audience, honestly, when we mention in passing a story that in, assumes as a premise that the earth is six to 10,000 years old, do I still need to point out the absurdity of that argument or do people get it at this point? I don't know. Do you think people get it by now? I think most of our audience uh, understands, yeah. Will gay people be allowed at this park? Because we can find, th remember, literal interpretation of the Bible. And people like to point, people talk about Leviticus. Are gay, peop are gay people going to be allowed? What about women with short hair? R remember, Lewis, literal interpretation of the Bible. Will women with short hair be allowed at this theme park? A lot of questions brought up that I have. 
U.S. Court, uh, Circuit Court of Appeals uh, has ruled that Capistrano Valley High School teacher James Corbett can make fun of Christianity and creationism without worrying about getting sued or facing any type of uh, penalties for doing so, um, which is great news. Uh, it turns out that he was teaching a college-level uh, European history class, and during the class he said that he felt that uh, creationism was uh, magic, <laughs> that there was there was no reality when it came to creationism, and one of the students was actually a little uh, pissed off about it. Uh, it was Chad Farnan, and uh, that sophomore decided to uh, sue the teacher to see what happens. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, you lost. <laughs> you can't sue. Okay, uh, look, I, I don't think teachers should be making fun of Christianity or any of the other religions, uh, as much as I might agree with them. Right? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a good policy. The question is, should they be fired over that? And whenever I see that, I always see it in, in reverse, right? Uh, meaning, like, what if the shoe was on the other foot? What if there was a teacher who was making fun of agnostics or atheists? Or, uh, you know, it, what if there was a teacher who was making fun of evolution? Now, those are all different in, in some ways. Evolution, if he's teaching biology and he's making fun of it, well, then he's not teaching the class, right? Mm -hmm. So then we've got an issue. But if he's making fun of agnostics or atheists, should I, do I think he should be fired over that? Absolutely not. Right? It is academic freedom. Now, again, I wish he wouldn't do it in, in any of those cases. I don't think high school is the right area for that. If in college you want to have a higher level conversation about that, mm -hmm. I think that's perfectly legitimate, uh, whatever context it might be in. And uh, in college, you're all adults and you get to have those conversations. Uh, but I wouldn't fire anybody over anything where they're expressing their opinion, whatever political opinion it might be. Now, if I'm the administrator, I might say to that person, let's try to stick to the subject matter here, right? right. Whether you're Republican or Democrat or pro-Christianity or anti-Christianity. Right. No, I agree with you on that. Um, but I think an important thing to take away from this story is he's a high school teacher, but he's teaching a college-level class. They're sophomores, but they're probably taking an AP-level class or something, right? Mm -hmm. This is one of those rare situations where a tenured teacher makes sense. Right, mm -hmm. And what do I mean by that? I'm not trying to bash tenured teachers, but I'm saying like we always think that tenured teachers have that status for no reason. Right? They don't need that protection. What kind of academic freedom do you need when you're in high school? But this teacher is teaching a college level class within high school, and his tenure protected him from getting fired. And he was able to express his opinions, and I think that's an important thing for a high school teacher to do, regardless of whether or not the students agree with that teacher's standpoint. Get yeah, one more thing about this. Mm -hmm. When I uh, was in high school, I often disagreed with my teachers. <laughs> mm -hmm. No one's surprised, right? I never thought any of them should be disciplined for not agreeing with me. And it's not, I'm like, Mr. Rollins is on the other side politically, and he, you know, and I can tell, he should be fired. Why? Why should he be fired? Right. You know, that doesn't, to me, that doesn't make sense. Steve-O. It's, it's not a matter of disagreement. It's a matter of being ridiculed, I believe. But here's the thing. I, um, I think it's wrong to ridicule someone's religion, but there's nothing wrong with ri ridiculing creationism. It's nonsense. And but it that is, is magic. religion. No, no, no. He's not making fun of Christianity. Christianity is, is not, I mean, creationism they, try, they purport that that is science. And they're saying evolution versus creationism. You choose. There are two competing theories. It's not. It's a total false equivalency, and it's an absolute joke, and it should be ridiculed. It's like saying, you know, I believe that, that my butt is a magic wand, and that's how the whole world was created. If you decide it's a competing theory with evolution, it's if nonsense. You want, just look into it. Yeah, it's just absolute <laughs> nonsense, and that should be ridiculed because it, it's...
it's it's a joke. Okay, look, I hear you, but I I I, I don't agree actually because mm-hmm. creationism it is born out of Genesis. That's their religion. Uh, like Steve totally disagrees with it. I totally disagree with it. But and I, we ridicule it on our free time and on our show. Uh, but at the same time. It's straight out of the Bible, so that's why they believe it. Here's here's my take on it, okay? You don't want to do something that discourages someone from sharing their ideologies, their opinions, and their thoughts in an educational atmosphere, right? By ridiculing and making fun of creationism or Christianity, you're discouraging students who might believe in that theory from, you know, sharing their own uh, views and sharing their own thoughts on that. So I, I don't agree with the teacher doing what he did in this case, even though I agree with him with the creationism. I think it's also magic and whatever, you know, mm-hmm. or the equivalent of magic. But um, I, I think that it's important for, you know, not for him not to get fired, not to get punished. But yeah, maybe a professor or administrator has a discussion with him and tells him, look, don't make fun of it. Just explain to them why you don't believe in what whatever it is that you're arguing against. I think we have fairly adjudicated this case and we move forward. It's the Onion Radio News. A local paleontology class winces every time that fundamentalist kid raises his hand. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Twenty-four of fundamentalist Christian Joseph Mosley's fellow students in a Penn State Paleontology 101 discussion section collectively wince with dread whenever the devout young man raises his hand. Classmate Colin Herberger says the situation often becomes very distracting. He thinks he plays a valuable role in the class, but it's just plain annoying. Herberger went on to say that the anxiety was nearly palpable last week when Mosley suggested that fossils didn't exist when his great-grandpa was alive. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News. I love digging in the dirt with just a pick and brush. Finding fossils is my aim, so I'm never in a rush. Cause the treasures that I seek are rare and ancient things like the Velociraptor's jaw or Archaeopteryx's wings. Now all the kids who want to see them are lighted up at our museum. I am a paleontologist. That's who I am. That's who I am. Daryl Ray is an organizational psychologist, consultant, and author of The God Virus, How Religion Infects Our Lives and Culture, and he's also founder of the organization Recovering from Religion. Uh, uh, Dr. Ray, this is fantastic. I'm so glad to speak to you. I have so many questions. You did this study which involved 14,500 respondents, and tell me what was the goal of doing the study, and then what did you find out? Well, we were looking at six hypotheses, but the overall goal was just to find out what's going on in the secular community. Uh, as, as most people know, almost all religions are pretty consumed with sex. 
and we just want to know what happens when you leave. I guess the biggest thing that we found was the level of guilt that people experience around their sex or sexuality drops amazingly. I mean, in other words, secularists just don't seem to have much guilt once they left religion. Well, I would argue probably a lot of more religious people would say that's the problem with atheists, right? They don't feel guilty about the, the stuff they're doing, <laughs> one of which would be having sex. Exactly, exactly. But we have to remember, it doesn't matter whether you're Christian or Mormon or Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist. Every religion seems consumed with sex and sexuality, and they all have their own unique little twist on it. But what they found is that sex keeps you coming back. And I, I talk about this in my book, The God Virus. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to, to do the research. I, con I talk about the concept of the guilt cycle. And it's a new concept. I don't think anybody's ever read about it or written about it before, before I was writing about it. The guilt cycle is, simply, is pretty simple. It's that uh, religion teaches you the disease and then gives you a false cure for that disease. So religion teaches you guilt and then turns around and says, oh, but we can absolve you of that guilt if you just come to our particular church. Now, so your, we, your background is, you, you know a lot about this, you were actually raised a fundamentalist Christian, is that right? I mean, now I think you consider yourself an atheist, but that was your upbringing, fundamentalist Christian? Very much so. My parents even became missionaries. My grandfather was a country church minister. My other grandfather was chairman of the board of a very conservative church. I mean, I've got relatives that are missionaries and ministers even today, so... Yeah, it's pretty strong in my family. So how do you end up, I mean, I spoke, uh, interestingly enough, you're in Kansas. I spoke with Nathan Phelps, who's one of the sons of Fred Phelps, of course, the God Hates Fags Church. He yeah. left, and he told this incredible story about leaving at midnight on his 18th birthday. And it's an unusual story in the sense that much the same way that one's politics often mirror those of their parents, I think religion even more so tends to. How did you end up leaving well, Nathan is actually a friend of mine. He's actually been to my house. Um, um, we have a good, a, a kind of interesting relationship, but um, sharing, swapping stories and such. It was a long process for me. I, you know, my, my family did the best they could, and their religion was an important part of it. Um, I don't, I don't uh, hold any grudges or anything against my family. I just, you know, at one point in time, I, I went into the ministry. I, had a, I have a master's degree in, in religion. Hmm. from Scarrett College from Christ for Christian Workers before I went on to get my doctorate at Vanderbilt and I, in psychology. And I just, after going through two years of that stuff, I realized I couldn't tell somebody else to believe what I didn't believe. So it was a slow process. I also had family, had kids, lots of in very religious in-laws, you know, all that stuff that keeps you, you just can't hardly leave. And so I finally was able to make the break after I got divorced and I was able to some perspective outside of outside of having to go to church every Sunday. I mean, it was almost unheard of that nobody would go to, somebody would not go to church every Sunday in my family. So then you, but anyway, you, that, you, wasn't, that wasn't. Yeah, so, so eventually you become an atheist, you do this study. Now you can understand why many would say, well, you're coming at this from a very particular perspective. So when you say, as many of the headlines do, atheists have the best sex lives, you can understand why people would say, well, hold on a second, this guy is looking for this particular answer. He's already, uh, he's already bought into one side of the argument. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's the criticism, but uh, I'm a scientist first. I'm, I'm not an ex-religionist or an atheist. I, I want to know the truth. I, I'm after what's the real facts out there. Not, I'm not trying to support my opinion one way or the other. And that's, and that's why there was, 
there were so many surprises. We had a number of different things. But one of the checks, we have several checks, uh, David, in our, in our research. Yeah, 14,500 people filled it out. Almost 10,000 completed it. We have to just say that there's two different numbers here. And so it's over a 65% completion rate. And we had 69 questions. It took about an hour for people to fill this out online. And we had no control over, over who took it any more than other sex researchers have control. So one of the biggest criticisms we get is that it wasn't randomized. Well, I defy you to find a randomized sexual study. It, it's just not possible. Sure, as we know, I interviewed Paul Cameron, the incredible anti-gay, ex-gay type activist, and he once had uh, assumptions based on 17 people filling out a survey he personally gave them. So certainly we have to Look at that information. He still stood by those results, by the way. You know, uh -oh. the, the, the thing that isn't part of this study that I would be interested to compare to is what is the sexual satisfaction of people who are still practicing their original religion? Because we're looking at people who have left their religion. And it right. would be interesting to have those other numbers to compare to. It would be. But, you know, if you, uh, if you uh, put a survey up on the Baptist Church's website and said, answer these 69 questions, um, betting we wouldn't get a very high participation rate. Uh, because some of the questions we ask are pretty, you know, pretty wild with respect to religionists. You know, like, when did you start masturbating? Well, you're not supposed to be masturbating if you're a Baptist <laughs> or a Catholic. So it's, it's, we probably wouldn't be able to get people to respond to them. And how, so, how ironic, by the way, that there's 69 questions in this test. But we'll leave, yeah. we'll leave that for a different day. Can you address a little bit... <laughs> We did not intend that. <laughs> Can you address any specific sexual practices more common among Mormons we should be keeping an eye out now that Mitt Romney is a Republican frontrunner? Well, I don't. if you've looked at the survey, you'll, you'll notice something. And one of the internal checks is, is there a difference by denomination in guilt level? One of the questions we asked was, when you were still religious, uh, how, much, how much guilt were you taught? And a one, one to scale, a ten of one, uh, scale of one to ten, excuse me. Well, what we found is we could actually classify uh, groups or denominations by how much they used guilt. Well, you may not, you may be surprised to know, but Catholics, of course, are the ones that everybody says the most guilt-ridden religion. Our research shows something different. Our research actually shows the number one most guilt-ridden religion among the 14,500 people we question is Mormonism. Hmm. So, yeah, there's some stuff there, and what we found is we found some fascinating stuff. We found that, that Unitarians are the least guilt-ridden people in, in our whole sample, even less guilty than atheists and agnostics, huh. which, is, which is interesting. And where we do Jews figure on that scale? Uh, Jews were very much on the low end, but we yeah. have to remember we probably got a lot of cultural Jews in our sample, people who are raised pretty, pretty secular to begin with. I doubt yeah. a very former Orthodox Jews filled out our survey. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, uh, my, my producer feels an incredible amount of guilt when it comes to sexual activity, but it's not so much because of the religion. It's more he just feels bad for the women that are subjected to his advances, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, my research didn't look at that in detail. <laughs> that would be the next study, I think. Uh, yeah, so, so, in general, we're, you're not saying that you can say specifically that atheists have the best sex lives, but what it seems to be very clear is that the amount of guilt associated with sexual activity seems to decrease significantly when not bound by the teachings of a particular religion. You, you, you captured it perfectly. That's exactly what we say. And those darn headlines, you know, journalists that haven't even read the report, 
say that sex, we have better, atheists have better sex. It's just, we didn't say that. We say you have less guilt around sex. That probably, I mean, I would guess it leads to better sex, but I can't prove that. I didn't, that wasn't what I was studying. We didn't go into anybody's bedroom. We didn't count orgasms. We didn't count the number of orgasms. We did look at other research, though, and there is some other research not directly related to religion. And one of the criticisms, of course, is that you're, you know, you're testing a bunch of atheists. But a lot of our people, a lot of the people who fill this out, was, were very dedicated to a religion at one point in time. We had Seventh-day Adventists, we had Baptists, we had Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, Catholics, we had them all. Um, so there's, there's quite a bit of, of former religiosity here. And some of these people were Sunday school teachers and I mean, going to church three and four times a week. They were very dedicated to their religion. So the questions we asked were around, well, okay, how did this work for you when you were religious versus how when you left? And we were able to compare all these different, I think we had 28 different religions, uh, self-identified religions in this sample. So now we can discriminate between these and find out, you know, what's, what are the teachings, kind of the focus of each one of these. And we found some real interesting results. For example, it didn't matter how religious you were. Some of these people had even gone through abstinence-only training and that sort of stuff when they were still religious. It did not matter how religious you were, you started masturbating about the same time as a non-religiously raised child. I, I, you know, I did read that, and, and I encourage everybody to go check out the study. I looked through it, and it's fascinating. Uh, we've been speaking with Daryl Ray, organizational psychologist, author of The God Virus, and, uh, you know, I think the next study that you should do is let's look at the bizarre sexual practices of anti-gay zealots. I think that my audience would be fascinated by that. Uh, Dr. Daryl Ray, great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you, David. Okay, take care. Well, early in the morning, about the break of day, I asked the Lord, help me find a way, help me find a way. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. When the judgment comes, find the world in shame. When the trumpet blows, won't you call my name? Won't you call my name? Johan, what have you got against Christianity and where do you think it's going? Well, I absolutely defend the rights of Christians to say and argue whatever they want, to assemble whatever they want. If anyone ever tries to stop any democratic citizen in this country freely speaking and making their arguments, I'll be the first person on your side arguing in their defence. But look, Christianity has lost the argument. It's failing to persuade people. You are free to make your case and you've lost. And I think it's because the factual claims that Christianity makes have been proven to be false and because the causes which the dying embers of Christianity have attached themselves to are pretty ugly ones. Well, let, let, let's hold on just there for, for a few moments. The teachings of Christianity are that you forgive people who've harmed you, 
that you pray for your enemies, that you turn the other cheek. I do not understand why you want those to be snuffed out. I don't. They're human teachings. Do you think I don't have a concept of forgiveness because I'm an atheist? I think that you would not immediately pray for your enemies. I don't pray because I don't believe in a supernatural being, but I think, I'm, I think I'm as forgiving to my enemies as you are to yours. But the Christian creed preaches that forgiveness. It isn't down to individuals to come to that. I teach my nephews to do that, and I'm an atheist. I teach them to think, to try to understand what you're you as an individual, from. what I'm saying is that here you have an organisation which sets out to promote those values en masse. Well, let's talk about the lessons they're being given. The, the lessons that those people are taught are, amongst other things, that they should campaign to retain laws that legally discriminate against gay people, that treat gay people as second-class okay, citizens. You, you... I think Christianity will go into the same dustbin of history as, say, the worship of Zeus or Thor. And I think broadly that will be a positive thing. Now, the values that you think of as Christian values, of forgiveness and kindness and charity, they will persist. But I think the, you know, the kind of nasty dogmas that lead people to discriminate against gay people or treat women badly because they believe God commanded it, I think those will wither. I don't think they're persuading people. Rejoice! Rejoice God's ears are stitches! Oh, rejoice! Andre Garcia Torres is a priest in uh, Spain and he's been separated from his church uh, because a photo had surfaced of him on the internet uh, which features a 28-year-old Cuban seminary student. Uh, they're both shirtless and they look a little cuddly together. Okay, they look like they're enjoying one another's company. I'm a looking forward to the cuddle. There's the cuddle. Oh, shmoopy papoopy. By the way, that Cuban seminary student, not bad looking. But, no, no, uh, he's, he's a very fine looking gentleman. Uh, and he doesn't look stereotypically gay there, right? Which is, okay, but I'm about to say something absurd anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought he looked, uh, I don't know what it is. Is it, does he look gay or does he look smitten? He just seems like very, like, into the guy. You don't think he looks gangsta? No, go I don't to, think he looks gangster at all. Like, look at his, yeah, like what? What? Like, if you get really? rid of if you get rid of the furry guy putting his arm around him, <laughs> if you get rid of the koala. All right, uh, we're going to bring it to the TYT uh, jury, uh, Jr. and Jesus. Does he look gangster or gay? But, but you have to get rid of the furry guy who has his arm around him. Okay, you have to get rid of him. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> he looks like a, a gay thug. Yeah. Oh, okay, both but. gay gangster. All Fascinating. Right, win. Okay, dude, just calm down. Let Jesus break the tie. Gay. Uh, That's fascinating. Devastating. Okay. Devastating. Now, look, you know we're the most pro-gay show. That's what the conservatives will tell you, and they're kind of right. Okay? God bless. There's nothing, look, there's nothing wrong with looking gay, and we have no idea, and we might be ridiculous. Okay? Uh, but if you want ridiculous, wait till you hear the quote. 
So Garcia Torres is outraged that uh, the church let him go, and he wants to prove that he is not gay. He wants to prove that it's just a friend and he's never had gay sex in his entire life, right? So here's his quote. Uh, I have told them that they should do a test to measure my anus to see whether it's, whether it's dilated. Oh, gold. Win. <laughs> Look, you got to give that guy uh, credit for having the balls to make a statement like that. Would you like to test how dilated my anus is? <laughs> no, I would not. No, I would not. I have no interest in that <laughs> test, and I don't believe you'll have a taker. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. First, uh, you know, it's a bold statement. It Second is a bold of all, statement. he's probably fairly sure no one's going to take him up on it. Mm -hmm. And third of all, he could be a top. Yeah, that's a good point. He could be greedy. Uh, is that greedy? I didn't know that was greedy. That is greedy. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> well, you know. I think, I don't know if we're talking about the same thing. I'm now beginning to suspect we're not. Like he's a giver. <laughs> he's a giver. Oh, no, yes, he's a giver. Right. So, yeah. hence, he's uh, greedy. greedy. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm given to understand that both positions enjoy themselves. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not gay, and you can test my. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, but it's the greatest, uh, you know, uh, excuse I've ever seen from anyone who's been charged with being gay. What a charge. Right. Uh, right. And by the way, he's lost his uh, position, right? Right. He's no longer a priest with the church. And a lot of people are actually on his side, and they're trying to rally and say, you know, uh, you know, you don't know that he's gay. You haven't uh, dilated his anus at all, and you have no idea, right? He wants to take it up with Rome. He wants to see what they say in Rome, and uh, he says, "Look, I'll completely let go of this case as soon as uh, the Vatican speaks on this, mm -hmm. uh, and we'll see what happens." I wonder if the Vatican is going to send someone with, you know, the proper utensils. God, <laughs> probably not, right? Is that, is that wrong to say? Am I okay? Um, well, I would say they shouldn't get rid of people who are gay, uh, but you know. The religion is against it. So, by the way, I mean, do you? By looking at that picture, do you think he's definitely gay? Maybe it really is just his seminary student that he's good friends with. <laughs> because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, see, by looking at that picture, I mean, you're asking me a question. My job is to keep it real, right? And to be fair, the church says that they also have um, other documents that uh, prove that he's gay. I don't know if they really do, but that's what they're claiming. Okay, first of all, can you judge just based on a picture? Of course not. Mm -hmm. Okay, having said that, look, there are situations where people are topless. They're, you're going into a pool, you know, you're with longtime friends, or you're with your you know, family members, etc. But if you're a priest and you're with a 28-year-old Cuban seminary student. seminary student, and you guys are both shirtless for no apparent reason, and Maybe hugging each other like koalas. I was a hot there isn't a hot summer day in the world that can get me to take off my shirt and have one of these guys take off their shirts and then we hug up and take a picture. God has not made a day that hot. Okay. So, all right. Um, anyway, uh, so my guess is he's gay and it shouldn't matter, mm -hmm. but unfortunately in that religion it does.
This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Danny Herrera. Anytime the Middle East dominates the news cycle, the Islamophobia at Fox News isn't too far away. So here's the sad truth. There is a Muslim problem in the world, and it's getting worse. Gentlemen, here's missing. the problem, and I gotta run. For every Muslim in the world that wants democracy and wants human rights, there's one who doesn't. And the one who doesn't doesn't have any rules. It'll blow the hell out of the one that does. And the language surrounding the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is even worse. And in the wake of the president's speech, former Massachusetts governor, GOP presidential candidate Mitt Romney charged, quote, President Obama has thrown Israel under the bus. Well, more like a bus full of suicide bombers. Real classy, Hannity. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as five dollars a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. When a group of Muslims started building a mosque outside of Memphis, Tennessee a year ago, they weren't sure what to expect. The so-called Ground Zero Mosque was kicking up controversy in New York and in another Tennessee town just 200 miles away, an Islamic Center's construction site was vandalized. That didn't happen to the Memphis Islamic Center. In fact, when the mosque wasn't ready in time for the holy month of Ramadan, a Christian church down the street opened its doors and said, pray here. A few days ago, I caught up with Donna Siddiqui of the Islamic Center and Steve Stone, the pastor of Heart Song Church. And Steve said this unusual alliance between them began with a sign he put up out by the road. It said, uh, welcome to the neighborhood, Memphis Islamic Center. <laughs> it's, it's been seen all over the world now. <laughs> <laughs> Donish, what did you think when you saw that sign? Well, obviously we were uh, taken aback, but in a very positive way. You know, Muslims, we tend to uh, think of ourselves as good neighbors, but uh, Steve beat us to the punch and put up that sign, and all we had to do was knock on the door and uh, introduce ourselves. So we were we were elated. So, Donish, you got into a little bit of a pinch where your uh, Islamic Center wasn't going to be ready in time for Ramadan, which is a really big deal because you need a place to pray during Ramadan. Exactly, yeah. We were we were looking at some close-by halls and rental places and, and None, none of those things were available. And what we did was we approached uh, Steve and, and Hartsong and asked if we could just borrow a, a small space in there. And he said, no, you're going to come in here and you're going to pray in the uh, our main worship space. Not only did they let us use that every night, but they were there every night and greeted us every night as we came in. By the end of the month, I think it was a very sentimental moment. We were so honored to be asked because we knew that if they ever had any thought that we would say no, they would not have asked. So we, we were honored that they asked us. Steve, how did your members take it? We had about 20 out of 550 that left us. Mm. We had tried to work with them and help them think their way through it. But uh, at the end of the day, if they really believed what they said they believed, 
we're kind of glad they left because we didn't want them going out into the community and saying we have these hateful feelings and we go to Heartsong Church. I feel like a lot of uh, you know church leaders, you know, would say that they believe in having this kind of community and this sense of community. But you guys actually did it, and it's not happening in all that many places. I'm trying to figure out exactly what it was. Was it the two of you? I mean, was it just that you guys became friends, that you guys hit it off? Is that the magic? I don't know. I think it was just more that, uh, you know, one of the basic tenets of our faith is to love our neighbors. You know, Jesus only taught two things, and one of them is love your neighbors as you love yourself. And so it was just, it really was a no-brainer for us. This is what we've got to do. Now, how do we do it? That was the question. Hmm. And you felt like all of your church members were behind you. Uh, I felt like all but the 20 that left were behind us. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) But we've forgiven them. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the critics that, I mean, you you got uh, letters, calls from people all over the country commenting one way or the other uh, on this situation. One of the criticisms that people leveled was that this was a blending of Christianity and Islam, and it, it wasn't appropriate. You know, How did you deal with that, Steve? Well, we're sharing our faith. We're living out our faith, and, and they're doing exactly the same thing. It's easy to, to criticize something you don't know and, and say, well, if you knew our relationship, you would know that they're very clear that we are Jesus followers, and we're very clear that they are Muslim. Yeah, certainly. Um, even though we have different faith traditions, we don't deny that, right? We, we believe very different things. But at the same time, we know that we can get along. We know that we can work together, and we have respect for one another because we are people of faith. That's Donish Siddiqui, board member of the Memphis Islamic Center, and his good friend, Pastor Steve Stone of the Heartsong Church in Cordova, Tennessee. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. My pleasure. So this is an, an Alaska militiamen group arrested in a con- conspiracy to kill state troopers and judges. Five people were arrested by state and federal law enforcement on charges connected with the plot. I'm sorry. The alleged, yeah, it's always alleged, Lewis, the alleged plot to kidnap or kill state troopers and a Fairbanks judge, according to the Alaska state troopers. Nothing to see here, folks. Just another isolated incident while we bring in Muslims and make it seem like the entire group, just the identity. If you identify with, if you identify as a Muslim, you're the concern, not the militiamen. Francis Schaefer Cox, Lonnie Vernon, Karen Vernon, and two other people are the individuals brought in here. The investigation revealed plans to kidnap or kill Alaska state troopers and a judge. The plans included extended surveillance on the homes of two Fairbanks troopers. This guy Cox, Francis Schaefer Cox, and his buddies had acquired a large amount of weapons in order to carry out attacks against the victims. So this is not just oh, I'm going to write in my online blog 
that I don't like this group and I might do something. They have acquired the weapons to do incredible amounts of violence. Wasn't there a story very similar to this, almost exactly the same? There was a group of people in a different state that all got arrested for planning something like similar to this? There was, but you know, there was a, these actual people. In the, in the recent past, Cox and his buddies were part of the militia faction that supported, who else? Joe Miller in his Sarah Palin-sponsored run for the Senate. This, fortunately, Joe Miller didn't win because this is the type of support the guy had. And you know what's interesting? There's this, I've been doing research into what, uh, what is being said by many of these hopefully only potential attackers when they are going after the police. And it's something called sovereign citizenship ideology, okay? This appears to be a significant component of Cox's belief system. He claims he and all Americans are sovereigns, kings and queens, okay? And no one is required to obey laws unless not doing so would harm other sovereigns. So in other words, I, I mean, I, you know what? How can I even think of examples? Let's give an example from Lewis here. Lewis uh, likes to speed in his car. Now, if he's on a back road and there is no risk to anybody else, any other sovereign, Lewis is a sovereign, he is a king or queen, we don't know which, and if the police were to try to pull him over, he would not be liable because he wasn't directly endangering anyone other than himself. That's not really a great example. I mean, this, it's such an absurd statement that how can we even right. come up with examples? Much of the claims about this, uh, this sovereign citizenship actually center around the belief that President Lincoln subverted the original Constitution and replaced it with a copy that incorporated the United States. Now, the, these people believe in this uh, sovereign citizenship? Right. Okay, but they're gonna, they were going to go kill other sovereigns. Uh, well, but the sovereigns were complicit in, in taking away their sovereignty. The police, they were imposing oh, rules I on see. them. So you there are exceptions to this rule. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently there are. You know what's interesting? Okay. You, you know what this is? This is the Muslims' responsibility for not policing radical militiamen. That's what it is. Peter King is right. The focus should have been all the time, not on this group, but on the hearings on Muslims. That must be it. Because Muslims should have been policing these guys. Maybe Peter King should drag both Palin and Joe Miller into hearings and ask them, hey, why weren't you more vigilant and turn these guys in? Oh, that's, that's right, that's right. They supported you. They are white Christians. I see. I see. That's what it was. But let's keep going with the Peter King hearings, ladies and gentlemen. I ain't afraid of your Yahweh. I ain't afraid of your Allah. I ain't afraid of your Jesus. I'm afraid of what you do in the name of your God. I ain't afraid of your churches. I ain't afraid of your temples. I ain't afraid of your praying. I'm afraid of what you do in the name of your God. Rise up. Find a higher power, free up from fear, it will devour you. Watch out for the ego of the hour. The ones who say they know it are the ones who will impose it on you. I ain't afraid.
Whole Foods is in a little bit of controversy because of the fact that they were promoting uh, Ramadan and also promoting halal uh, certified food that they're now selling at the store. Mm -hmm. So um, they had written a blog about it on the Whole Foods website. And of course, conservatives uh, had their heads explode over this, right? Yeah, How I mean, dare they? They're jihadists, they're anti-Israel. That sounds like Sharia law, yeah. And it's a good thing they don't eat halal food in Israel except for the fact that they do. But, okay, yes. So what ended up happening is, um, you know, Whole Foods faced a lot of criticism from conservative bloggers and right-wingers, and, you know, everyone's hoping that they're not going to cave into the stupid pressure to stop promoting the halal food, except they didn't, okay? There was one local store in uh, Whole Foods that uh, sent out an email internally, and this is what the email said. It's probably best that we don't specifically call out or promote Ramadan. We should not highlight Ramadan in signage in our stores, as that could be considered celebrating or promoting Ramadan. And what would be wrong with that? Look, you know me, I have a lot of issues with the Muslim religion, right? That's why I left it. We've done a million stories on that. But if you're just a regular old Muslim practicing your religion and you want to get some food, that's, you know, here's another word for halal, kosher, okay? Yeah. You want to get some kosher food, What's I cannot imagine what would be wrong with that. Look, there was a story in Minnesota where a guy who was Muslim didn't wa uh, want to check out bacon for other people when he was running the uh, the cash register. That's unacceptable. Then you're not doing your job, and I thought he should be fired. Okay, mm -hmm. so I'm not light on <laughs> these guys who insist on putting their religion into the middle of things. But this, there's nothing wrong with this. This is a guy saying, "I am Muslim. I am celebrating Ramadan." Oh, look at that! There's halal food that meets my needs, I'm going to buy it. And what's wrong with a, a, a grocery store giving him that option? Right. No, no, it, giving into this just says, okay, we are anti-Muslim, we're sorry, we never want to promote or mention or, you know, in any way acknowledge that Muslims are normal human beings. And it's, it's grotesque. A lot of people have the exact same reaction that you're having right now, right? It's ridiculous. How do they cave into the pressure? It's so stupid. Well, then Whole Foods decided to release another statement publicly, and this is what it said. We are still carrying and promoting halal products for those who are celebrating Ramadan this month. We never sent a communication from our headquarters requesting stores take down signs or remove parts from this promotion. We have 12 different operating regions, and unfortunately, one region reacted by sending out directions to promote halal uh, and not specifically Ramadan after some negative online comments right it look give you one more sense of this if it, you take out the word halal and you put in kosher which is almost the same exact thing uh, and they said oh you can't put kosher food in Whole Foods that promotes the Jews you can't promote the Jews what's the matter with you no make sure there's no reference to Jews or kosher food or anything like that ever again oh, for, for, for Passover you're saying this is kosher food for Passover make sure you remove that from your stores what would happen? That would be a huge controversy. That'd be totally unacceptable because it is totally unacceptable. That's un-American to say anything like that. It's just as true for Muslims.
The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. God recalls the tracheas of millions of Indonesians. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Representatives of the Lord God blame a faulty Indonesian windpipe valve for a forced recall of all models created in 1997 and 1998. God spokesperson Eric Peterson says the sudden accumulation of Indonesian souls alerted the Lord to the problem, and he promises a timely solution. This is, this is a very costly and painful procedure, and we ask that all those affected please be patient until we can fix the defect. Peterson added that those Indonesians included in the recall would be given PVC pipe to use until replacement tracheas are ready. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News online at the Onion. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Seth Michaels. The 10th anniversary of the September 11th attacks is approaching, and sadly, so is the Islamophobia of the right-wing media. This week, Fox News contributor Dick Morris took to the airwaves to promote his anti-Muslim petition against the proposed Park 51 Community Center in Lower Manhattan. These guys who are going to set up a mosque where they'll teach Sharia law uh, and train the same kind of terrorists that caused ground the attack on the World Trade Center to happen want us to provide them with U.S. taxpayer money to make it's it possible. Still... To immediately equate a Muslim community center with a terrorist training camp is a horrendous accusation. The organizers of the Park 51 project note that the grant money, if awarded, will go to social service programs such as domestic violence prevention, Arabic and other foreign language classes, and services for homeless veterans. So, why is this happening? Well, we know why it's happening. Because many of these conservative media outlets have already bought in, either politically or because of where their money is coming from or for a number of other reasons, into the idea that Muslims are the people who do terror attacks. Those are the people that are dangerous. Those are the people we have to protect ourselves from. So even in cases where the reality has nothing to do with that, we're still going to talk about when Muslims do bad things. That's essentially what it is, is it not, Lewis? Basically, yeah. And it's amazing, because if we look at quotes from the 32-year-old shooter, Brevik, for example, tell me one country where Muslims have lived peacefully with non-Muslims without the jihad. How many thousands of new Europeans must die before we realize that Islam and multiculturalism do not work? Wow, this is the opposite. This guy should be on Fox News as a contributor. But no, we're still getting that same narrative.
Here's another quote. Today's Protestant church is a joke. He wanted the Protestant church to go back to more conservative times. So the real question that comes up for me here, Lewis, is number one, I know I've said it many times, how many people need to die from right-wing terror incidents before we can actually start talking about right-wing terror as a trend and stop repeating, parroting, lone wolf, lone wolf, lone wolf? Tell me how many people, because maybe, maybe I can then ascertain uh, some kind of estimate about how long it'll be until we take it seriously. Do a thousand more people need to die from right-wing terror? before we'll take it seriously, Lewis? I mean, how many, you tell me, how many more people need well, to die? until who takes it seriously? Until it's taken seriously, until we can actually say on corporate mainstream media where the majority of people get their news that right-wing terror, both domestically and internationally, is a real problem. Mm -hmm. there, there would need to be an, an army. There would need to be a, a right-wing terrorist army. So even if a thousand people die as a result of right-wing terror, we'll lone still wolf. hear lone wolf. Mm-hmm crazy guy, one crazy guy, has nothing, it really Muslims are still the problem. Of course. There's a growing movement in the U.S. and all over the world that is equating essentially godliness with hatred of the government and hatred of, I don't want to say the people, but essentially the conventional wisdom, which some assume to include allowing women the right to, to choose to make decisions about their own bodies, allowing gay and lesbian couples to marry, having a social safety net. There's people that hate the government when those things are brought up. And we need to worry about a growing, for lack of a better term, Christian jihad. And the reason why it's particularly dangerous is because of this reticence to even admit that it exists. Okay? One underwear bomber and we'll have hearings about the, Muslim, the American Muslim problem, right? We can have a lot of these right-wing terror incidents before anyone will consider it a problem, which is what makes it incredibly dangerous. Well, religion is the problem. Norway is just the first taste of what will happen here on a larger scale, I believe. It's sad. I don't want it to happen. But my real concern is because we want to shield our eyes from the fact that a blonde Norwegian guy could also go nuts and kill pe people because of political, religious, or other beliefs. And we're not going to address it properly. A blonde American guy did it in Oklahoma City. That's right. And by the way, that's it, Fox News even stuffing in another falsehood into that. This is not the first incident of significant right-wing terror since Oklahoma City. We're talking about them constantly, ladies and gentlemen. We had, what, over 20 of these incidents in the last couple of years in the U.S.? We pinpointed them on a map for you. I wish we had that uh, graphic handy. But you know that she's watching She's laughing, she's turning, she's holding her tonic like a cross The room's suddenly spinning, she walks up and asks how you are So you can smell her perfume, you can see her lying naked in your arms There's a change in your emotions And all these memories come rushing like fear waves to your mind 
The Center for American Progress did an investigative report to see how much money has been spent on spreading Islamophobia in the United States. This is a really fascinating investigative report because they found out that there are organizations that have spent a total of $42 million since 2001 to 2009 on spreading Islamophobia in the United States. So I want to give you guys some of the numbers that you can see on the screen right now. Um, there are seven major... Uh, charities or foundations that have donated money to the cause and I want to list them for you guys. There's Donors Capital Fund which has uh, donated over 20 million dollars uh, over the between 2001 and 2009 and the list goes on and on. You can see the numbers right there for a total of 42.5 million dollars. This is the right-wing version of charity. Uh, let's spread fear and hatred. So look at all of that money. You know what it buys you? It buys you press. What they do is they create reports that say, oh, did you know Islam is really dangerous? And they'd like to take over the government. Who is it the reports by? The guys that they gave the money to, right? To write these nonsense reports that don't have anything to do with facts. And then they take that and go, oh, I have a report, I have a report. And they go on TV, they go on Fox News. Right. They go on uh, conservative talk radio and they spread it. They, in, in some of the swing districts, they did an insane number of CDs and DVDs that they actually direct mail to people. They spent all this money to make sure that people hated Muslims. Right. And you know what? It's very destructive to the U.S. because what you're seeing now is you're seeing these fake controversies. For instance, uh, the so-called nine uh, Ground Zero Mosque, right? That was a controversy that was so fake and it was all stirred up by these organizations that want to spread all of this hate uh, toward the Muslim community. L let me get more into detail on that, right? Uh, the so-called Ground Zero Mosque was uh, actually a community center. It was not on uh, Ground Zero at all. And the, P and the guy who was ahead of it actually used to lecture the FBI. The FBI would bring him in to talk about how the different uh, religions got along. That's how much the government trusted him. So where do they get the so-called facts to write these so-called reports? They just made it up. They, Frank Gaffney, he's one of the guys, uh, major guys that got all this money to make up this stuff, comes in and says, oh, uh, this is so that the Muslims can rub it in America's face. Ha ha, we built a mosque on top of 9-11, so, you know, ground zero, and so we're going to impose our Sharia law on all the rest of you. Now, did anybody say that? No. <laughs> Gaffney just made it up, right? And then, then, then this huge brouhaha, totally helped by the mainstream media, grows around it and next thing you know Americans views of Muslims has gone down since 2002 do you understand that after 9-11 our view of Muslims is actually not that bad even after 9-11 but in the in those 10 years they spent all that money to make sure we hated Muslims and they sent out all those DVDs and they created all these fake controversies and in the end what happened what's the result now 49 percent of the country says they don't really like uh, Islam and they think there's something wrong with it. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that number has gone up dramatically because of this propaganda. So why do they do the propaganda? That's a good question. I'm sure they have a number of different reasons for it. You have to have an enemy, you have to have a boogeyman. So for example, if you, if you don't have an enemy, what can we spend all that defense money on, right? So you have to tell us that it's an existential threat and we're about to get taken over and the Cold War is over, there is no real major threat in the world, well we gotta create one so we can keep those defense contracts going. Now is it related? I don't know. Maybe it's just convenient that their ideology goes along the, that ways. If it, you don't like Muslims overall, does that help uh, right-wing Israeli groups? 
who say, hey, you know what? Palestinians equals terrorists. Muslim equals Palestinian. You don't want to help anybody who's Palestinian. You don't want to give them an independent state. Now, I don't want you to get crazy here because sometimes we do these videos and then people say, oh, Jews, this, it drives me crazy. The guy who uh, funded the research on this was George Soros, who's also Jewish, who found, funded the research to expose this, right. okay? And so they, it's, it's not about any of that, right? But it is about right-wingers in whatever category they're in, right? Saying, hey, our vision of charity is to spend a lot of money to make sure you are scared and that you hate other people. It's sickening. It's, as usual with the right-wing, grotesque. Hi, Jay. This is Jake from New York Alt News, and I'd like to talk about the 10th anniversary of 9-11, and in particular the reaction by America to it. I think that we went into a blind rage, actually, and it reminds me of a lot of the violence that we sometimes see here in New York City. Over the Labor Day weekend, we had some gun violence, and, you know, it's the same thing. When somebody gets beat up in a fight or they get kicked out of a bar, Instead of going home and working on their kung fu moves for another day, they, they grab a gun and they come back and they start shooting the place up wildly like a maniac. And, you know, that's what I think America's reaction was to the 9-11 attacks. It was a new kind of terror and we kind of went indiscriminately into launching ground wars overseas and we also compromised our own morality in putting in place torture and rendition practices that we hadn't seen in this country uh, since, since George Washington. If you listen to Osama bin Laden's own words, he said that he wanted us to bleed economically. And he had seen this firsthand when he fought the USSR uh, with the Mujahideen. You know, it was just the wrong approach, and he knew that we would jump right into it. When Eisenhower wanted to fight the Cold War uh, back in the day, he, he knew it was an economic battle. And so he started building highways and schools, creating jobs, encouraging saving. And I, I think that young people aren't getting that uh, today, that they might not recognize that our response to 9-11 was not only a mistake, we, we played right into the hands of Al-Qaeda. It was completely ham-handed. And I like to think of a baby in diapers going after a beehive with a hammer. You know it's just not going to work. That's my two cents, and I hope that uh, you know people remember on this solemn anniversary that um, Al-Qaeda won. Thanks a lot. Bye. Hey, Jesus, Carlos from Chicago, and I just called a little bit ago to have uh, with the show request for border immigration reform. But I forget that I also had uh, a call to action. It's the uh, the life of Troy Davis, uh, a death row inmate in Georgia, is in grave danger. There's been an execution date set, put set by the by the state of Georgia. And if you, follow, uh, if you know the story, I mean, you covered the story a little bit in, in one of the past shows about the police state. Seven of the nine original witnesses have recanted. Uh, one of the remaining ones 
was a initial suspect in the case. There's no DNA evidence that ties him to the case. It's just, it's just he's an innocent person. Like it's obvious that he's innocent, and he is about to die. So my call to action is that the campaign under death penalty is putting together a national day of action for Friday, September 16th, and I just urge your listeners to go to nodeathpenalty.org and see what you can do for the case of Trades because there's an innocent man's life that could be potentially lost within the next two weeks, and we just can't have that happen. So thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So what I'm going to do today is make a pre-buttle to an argument that hasn't even been made yet. I'm just imagining that it probably will. So uh, after listening to this episode on religion, uh, having heard about half of it or so, kind of going after Christians a little bit, uh, you know, pointing out the flaws in, in some Christian people and, and uh, things along those lines. And then the second half, uh, mostly focusing on, uh, you know, defending Muslims against the attacks they've been receiving. I would imagine uh, someone having this sort of question. So this theoretical person might, might write me an email and say, hey, Jay, so I'm a progressive Christian and I'm just wondering why... Did I just listen to this show where, you know, my religion is being made fun of while another religion is being defended? Now, I'm in favor of them being defended. Don't get me wrong. Freedom of religion. I, I want for them to be able to do what they're doing, and, and I absolutely defend them. I have no problem with it. But why do I need to listen to myself, you know, be, uh, be made fun of at the same time? Like, why can't we all get equal treatment, and why can't we all be defended that way? Uh, and here's the answer to that, at least part of it. Uh, it is a classic rule of comedy, social commentary, critique, all those things, that uh, it is essentially always safe to go after those in power, and it is essentially always incredibly distasteful to go after those not in power. So the answer is context. The context of this show is that it is produced in America, focused on America, and in America, Christians absolutely, unquestioningly rule the country. Therefore, I say they are free game to attack, whereas Muslims are definitively not in power. And not only are they not in power, they are actively under attack at this moment. And so because that is the case, there are lots of great uh, you know, liberal commentators out there willing to step up and defend them, which allows me to make shows about it. So now, this theoretical progressive Christian I know is asking, well, okay, but why do you have to make fun of any of us at all? Why can't we just all be defended? And to that, I say the really, really short answer is this show is about all the things that I think are true. And... Uh, you know, among many other things, I simply don't think that any religion is true. I think that all, uh, all people have the right to practice whatever religion they want, and I think they're all wrong. So uh, let's take a look at some other groups that would also easily be defended by, by my show. Uh, this show is, generally speaking, no, though not incredibly strongly, uh, anti-gun. Uh, it is strongly pro-pot, pro-decriminalization of harder drugs. That's a really nuanced point that would take a long time to get into. Uh, Anti-death penalty, 
and in favor of humane prisoner practices, just to name a few. So all of these things that I just listed are actually minority positions in this country. Uh, you, you know, we <laughs> have very pro-gun uh, lobby that is, you know, has a stranglehold on the country. We are anti-pot, anti-all drugs, pro-death penalty, and in favor of being really harsh on prisoners. So I find myself in this minority position a lot. And so just add to that list, yeah, and anti-religion. Yeah, it's an incredibly small minority position to be anti-religion in America. Uh, you know, it's something like 10% of the country consider themselves atheists. So, yeah, I think it's a perfectly reasonable position to take to be pro-freedom of religion, but anti-religion in general. And that's because religion is not just a personal choice. As long as the country is being run by religious people, that makes it a political issue. And so finally, the, the last comment I get most often is, hey, Jay, so I'm a progressive Christian, and I love your show, and I don't even mind the religious episodes, or maybe I do, maybe I kind of mind them, but I can get past it, or you know, I can be a little bothered, or I can skip them, and it's not that big of a deal, but it really, it prevents me from sharing your show with my Christian friends, and why are you shooting yourself in the foot that way? by uh you know by shunning this whole group of people because i can't i can't share your show with them to which i say maybe you're right you know your friends better than i do but it, it occurred to me really recently why do you have so little faith in your friends and i mean i'm not i promise i'm not talking to any individual but i have literally received that sort of message many times over the years and they say i'm a fan of your show but my friends wouldn't be. And I think, I think now, you know, why, why are you so much better than your friends? Why are you more open-minded than your friends? Why not? I mean, if, if that's your concern, you want, you know, you're like, Hey, I want to spread the, spread the liberal message. I want to get the progressive voice out there, but I can't share your show. I see no problem with, with saying, Hey, you should check out this show. I think you'd really like it. I mean, you're not going to like all of it, but you know, who's going to like all of anything? You know, the, you're a religious person, and he's not, and, and speaks out against religion. But, you know, that's like less than 10% of the time, maybe like 1 in 15 episodes deals with a religion. And then each one of those, like half of it, is defending freedom of religion. So, you know, it's like 1 in 30 <laughs> parts of the show are anti-religion. So skip it if you want, but check out all the rest of the stuff. It's awesome. You know, I, I don't, I don't understand why that's not the conversation people have, because that's exactly what you could say about, you know, all these other topics. Hey, check out this show. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's a little soft on, on criminals. He, he thinks they should be treated humanely. But other than that, you'll probably agree with him. Or, you know, like they're, they're one of those pro, pro pot shows, you know, thinks that uh, decriminalizing, uh, you know, pot would, uh, you know, decrease the stress on the uh, you know on the Mexican American border and uh, depower the cartels and you know take away a lot of their funding sources, but you know thinks that people should be able to smoke pot and not get in trouble for it. So other than that, you'd probably like it. I don't know. I just think uh, have a little bit more faith in your friends, and I'm gonna keep making the show that I want to make. That's <laughs> I I could have I could have made this whole answer one sentence, and that's I get to make the show that I want to make. And whatever parts you don't like, I hope that you will simply skip over them and continue to enjoy all the rest.
So that's going to do it for today. I'm just going to thank a couple members, as I always do. Dale T signed up for a leftist monthly membership back on March 1st, and Lawrence G signed up for a leftist yearly membership back on February 12th. So huge thanks to Dale and Lawrence and all the members and donors who make the show possible. By now, you should really, really know that I simply couldn't do it without you guys. That is never, ever an exaggeration. They, they simply make the show uh it is is possible to do the show in the way I do as often as I do because of the members and for no other reason. Everyone can support the show in their own way by simply telling everyone you know about it, even if the people you're telling aren't going to enjoy 100% of every episode. Please tell them anyways. You can even be as selective as you want simply by sharing only your favorite clips with your social networks and by email and so on by going to bestoftheleft.com and finding uh, all the individual clips that you like and sharing them directly. You can stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can even donate your Facebook and Twitter accounts to us uh, to help us spread the word. Details on that are described uh, in, in great detail through the website. Just click on the big Donate Your Account banner. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all those details are always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 11 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought black and white, you took apart a picture that wasn't right. 